You're listening to Cosmic Tonic. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, let me say that again. <clears throat> Cosmic Tonic. Hello. Thanks for tuning in to the Cosmic Tonic podcast. In this episode, we speak with astrologer Alicia Yusuf about Uranus and how it shows up in major life transits. If you like what we do, please leave us a five-star rating, write a review, or share the podcast with your friends. We appreciate it. And there's a couple different ways you can listen to us. One way is on your favorite podcast app or by subscribing to us on YouTube. As you know, we are committed to bringing you the best content related to astrology and the occult. We are fully funded by viewer support. So please donate to our podcast by visiting the link at the bottom of our homepage at cosmictonic.com. For those of you who donated, thank you so much. It really helps us keep this podcast going. Thanks again for being here, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hi, welcome everyone. I am so excited today. We're here to speak with Alicia Youssef and we're going to be talking about Uranus today. But before we get started, I am just so pleased to have you, Alicia. I know this has been a long time in coming. I think maybe it took us about a year to get this scheduled. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here. And I was just saying in the pre-show chat with um, Eliza and Jasmine that it's interesting, isn't it, that Saturn, you know, Uranus, Saturn's now moving away, Uranus is kind of free. And finally, we get to do this Uranus chat. So it's, (laughs) (laughs) it's great to be here. Yeah, thank you for coming. And I just wanted to extend that It's been really beautiful. One of the things that Alicia does is she is part of the steering committee of AFAN. And I don't know how much of our audience knows about AFAN, but it's the association for um, astrology and networking. And I feel like our relationship is one of those examples. We didn't get connected through AFAN, but we've been doing a lot of networking through the year. I was first attracted to um, Alicia's work through the Water Trio. She had hosted a podcast and it seems like you guys are making intermittent or erratic, you know, appearances. Um, there was a 2022 forecast that you did, but um, yeah, it's really been in relationship and noticing somebody and reaching out to them. And so it's been a couple years, I think, but the first thing that came to mind with you and I have the book here was um, you were writing on your Instagram about first um, we make the beast beautiful by Sarah Wilson mm. and it's really a journey through anxiety um, or a new journey through anxiety and that part of that gets kind of stirred up for me today when we're thinking about Uranus too is like there is something about it being connected to the nervous system and our emotions and then later today in this podcast, we'll be talking some possibly about the Uranus opposition. But yeah, I wanted to mention that Um, Alicia is an astrologer and counselor. She's also a scientist from Queensland, Australia. And please feel free to fill in any other parts of yourself that you'd like to share with our audience. Thanks, Kestrel. Um, You really have summed it up in a nutshell. I mean, I've 
been an astrologer for a long time, although it was actually with my Uranus opposition that I came to it full time. It was like this do or die thing, like that has to happen now, which is part of those big life transits. So, yeah, I've been a full-time astrologer now for about four years and I'm here on the sunny sunshine coast of Australia and just love these also Uranian connections that technology allows to have become close friends with somebody who's a total continent away. Um, and the shared connection that we have as well, because I think all of you have studied with Water Trio gals and connected in different ways as well. So there's those, those interesting inroads and insights. But I'm really excited to get into the electricity of what today is all about. Well, where should we get started? Should we do a little bit of technical stuff just around um, when Uranus was discovered? And I know we were doing a little bit of that in the pre-show chat. Do you want to kick us off, Alicia, or did you want to do that, Jazz? Sure. I can kick us off. I mean, I think one of the first things is that Uranus, in even in itself, is this big ice giant. And of all the planets, it rotates on its side um, axis rather than on its uh, horizontal axis. It's on its vertical axis. So it, it rotates on its horizontal axis. And so that in itself makes it different and unusual to all the other planets. So immediately we kind of get this, oh, okay, what's different about this? And it was discovered in 1781 by Sir William Herschel, who was a UK astronomer. And it was the it was discovered, it, you know, it really changed how we thought about the universe because it was the first one discovered using the technology of the telescope. And before that, there was this system that had been created by the ancients, the ancient Babylonians, the Greeks, the Egyptians, that went as far out as Saturn. And people had seen Uranus before, but they always thought it was a big star, but it wasn't until Sir William Herschel saw it that he was like, oh, okay, this is here. And it just blew people's minds in their perception. And I think it's interesting. It always makes, makes me think that for us, it must have been like when we first got those pictures of the earth from space, that we got a, a brand new perception on things. And again, this is so Uranian, like awakening, enlivening new perceptions on things. So and I think 1781, there are a whole lot of revolutions happening on the planet. I mean, not just physically in terms of nationally with the French Revolution, the American Revolution, but also the Age of Enlightenment. We had a lot of scientific revolutions going on then. That was kind of when the Industrial Revolution was kicking off as well. So all these Uranian themes of, of revolutions breaking apart, you know, rebirth of new things coming through is, is really strong there. So any of you got any thoughts? Well, I, you know, I think about the astronomy of Uranus and how it it is the first planet beyond Saturn that was discovered. Mm. And I sometimes I explain it this way to clients or I relate it this way in my own thinking that I almost feel we can, we can detect more about the Uranus archetype from its astronomy than we can from the mythology of Uranus, mm. the sky god, although there are pieces there that I think are relevant. But just this idea, you know, I always associate Uranus and astrology with many things. And we can talk about this archetype more fully, but with um, breaking through any tethers, with with breaking past any confines or um, conformity, it's like the Saturn box is there, the, the Saturnian mm-hmm. container, and then Uranus bashes through it. And I wondered, Alicia, if you could share a little more about, or 
I wondered if you've thought about that relationship between Saturn and Uranus, because mm. the two are, are you know, in, in terms of their, um, the years that they take to orbit the sun too, there's some, there's some pairings and some interesting intersections. So I'm wondering if you could speak more to that, that relationship with Saturn and defying Saturn. Yeah, well, if you even think about the mythology behind it and and whether or not you go with, you know, because there's Richard Tarnas in his Prometheus take on the mythology of, of Uranus, but, you know, Saturn was the one who overthrew his father, Uranus, and there is this sense that he wanted, he just saw it as too chaotic, this change that Uranus was making of, of just creating creatures with no thought, like that kind of almost like, well, what can we drag up the experimentation of it all? And Saturn was seeing the damage it was doing. So he was like, right, okay, well, Kronos, let's put some boundaries in place here. Let's let's do things differently. But then you get Prometheus coming along who ended up pairing up with Zeus to overthrow Saturn. So there's this kind of flip-flop in the mythology there between, okay, these they two seem so opposite to each other okay where are we going to put containers in where are we going to put restrictions in and where are we going to have freedom where are we going to break things apart and for me a lot of this comes down to that freedom versus responsibility and actually are they in either or or are they in and both because if we go all the way with Uranus it's anarchy but if we go all the way with Saturn you've got total totalitarianism so if we can kind of find a blend of the both together I think that's how we need to work with them and that's been so much of what 2021's been about as we've seen this tense square of these two planets trying to work and work each other out and get along in the sky which seemed a little little bit like that angle grinder that <laughs> is going on next door um so just to warn the listeners we may get a bandsaw and an angle grinder going on as my neighbors are doing their deck have you really put some thought to how we make that blending happen and in your opinion how do you see that working or how do we do that yeah and I think it's a really good question Jasmine and I feel like it's very individual for each person how that happens and it's also a continuum that happens within the life. So where do we give over totally to social peer pressure and structures and where can we be our unique and authentic self? You know, where are the rules binding us and where do we get to break them? Mm -hmm. And I think this depends on each person and what they're doing, but Right now, what we're seeing is these collective responsibilities, Saturn in Europe and Aquarius, pushing back on our individual freedoms uh, in so many ways. And, and people are responding in different ways and different thoughts. But, you know, I think, you know, the four of us coming from the cultures that we come from, you know, Western nations, we're very much on the Iranian side of things. We're often very focused on the individual Whereas like my husband, for example, he's from the Middle East, his culture is very much about the community and about, you know, what you do and your responsibility to the community. So I think that plays into it as well, you know, what context you this is all playing out within. But, yeah, I, I get a strong feeling that there's something around, okay, how can we form a new future together? You know, what is it about that we're trying to create but in a new way? 
so that we're not, and, and having that flexibility. I always refer, especially to Uranus in Taurus, like bamboo, you know, it, it's got these, it, it's the flexibility that it has within the system that create, allows the change to come through. I mean, in Hong Kong, they use bamboo in scaffolding. Uh, because the metal will buckle and break with the huge winds they have come through. So that that need for flexibility, that need to be able to pivot, you know, these are all such 2020, 2021 words, aren't they? But this sense of, okay, how can we do change but in a way that is not just blowing things up? Right. Sometimes Uranus can be that grenade or that rebel without a, you know, rebel without a cause. How can we bring change in or rebel but without totally breaking the system apart? if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so interesting. This is coming up because I was sort of having the same question as jazz is like, how can we find the integration of the two and the harmony of the two? And it takes me Mm. back to the myth again, where, you know, Saturn castrates Uranus, but then Venus, you know, sprouts Mm. from the foam and Howard Sesportis in his book, the gods of change actually talks about that. How can we do a little bit of the both? You know, how when a big change is occurring in a society or an individual life, which we often see that really coming to a head in the Uranus opposition, which is later on, which we'll we'll talk about in the midlife as far as astrology goes. But, you know, when those two really, they're almost extreme forces going on. Yeah, what what is the the ingredient or the thing that's going to bring us to the middle ground? So it started to pull in kind of this Venusian quality too, and I just thought it was mm. interesting that she is so much a part of the myth. I don't know what you gals think about that, but that's just kind of the lightning bolt <laughs> that came in some of the research I was doing. Well, I think I think that's an important point and this is going back like there are so many ways where Uranus the planet doesn't quite match the mythology of Uranus as we talked about in the pre-show about how the name when they were selecting the name there's quite a lot of vacillation and it was kind of almost by chance they landed on on Uranus being the father of Kronos um but there is something there too with regards well for me with primarily two things one it's a sky god And there is something about the sky that does seem to represent futurism or the future or the avant-garde or um, advanced thinking, technological breakthroughs, these these Uranian themes. But then also, like you mentioned before, Alicia, the the creation of monsters, like Uranus created or birthed or (laughs) led to the breeding of the Cyclops and other monsters. And I... I think about this too with technology, like how often have we birthed a monster through our technological breakthroughs? The atomic bomb is a really obvious example, but I think you could frame the internet in that way to some extent. And, and obviously it's both and like we've been talking about, I think the internet has led to so much wonderful and necessary progress. And at the same time, I think it can be very destructive. And so these, this sort of birthing of monsters, I feel like, like we've been saying, it must be contained with some Saturnine responsibility and accountability and, and simply containment, this idea of containment. Um, and Kestrel, with regards to Venus being born from essentially 
Uranus is spume <laughs> on the ocean. I'm pretty sure I might, I, I need to check who wrote this, if it was Hesiod, if it was somebody else. I'm pretty sure it was also when the um, uh, liquids, the fluids from his, from his testicles landed on the earth. That's what also birthed the Furies. So it's like there's Venus, but there is also the Furies. And I think that's an important piece to consider as well, that there can be Yes, we need love, but they're the opposite of that. I think it can be this rage or this what happens when when there isn't justice. But I'm I'm curious like to bring this to anchor this back into a human life. And maybe we can talk about it astrologically. Like for you, Alicia, what have you noticed in your own thinking as an astrologer, as an astrologer, maybe in your own life or or through clients? Like how can how does Uranus show up? It's one of these far out transpersonal planet. So how can it show up for one of us on this, on this earth? Yeah, I think it's where we awaken or where we push back or where we do rebel um, against social constriction or where we try to create that authentic self. And I think, you know, it depends, like for me, for example, it's, it's smack bang on my descendant. And it's often, you know, people see me as that person who's different or unusual or eccentric, especially outside of astrological circles. I'm sure all of you relate to that time where you tell someone you're an astrologer and they're like, their eyes bug out of their heads, especially around 15, 20 years ago. Um, But there is that sense of, you know, how can I do me in a way that's totally individual me? And this is where we can turn to that Uranus in our chart to discover more about that. And of course, you know, Uranus has that 84 year cycle, which links so beautifully with the human age span. And it's really interesting how those, you know, maybe we'll get into this later, the the squares and the oppositions will play out within the human life cycle. But, you know, it does take seven years to transit through a sign. So, yes, it's one of those transpersonal planets and it's definitely has a generational energy to it. So each generational sign will tell what that generation is trying to break apart, what they're trying to change and what they're trying to disrupt or rebel against. So, you know, for my generation, for example, uh, Uranus in Libra, we were the generation that broke apart relationships, that broke apart marriage. You know, we were the ones who, you know, when Uranus was in Libra, suddenly there was a lot more freedom within relationships. Divorce was a lot more accepted. Also same-sex marriage. You know, I was the generation that grew up with Mardi Gras parades and, you know, activating with friends for, you know, same-sex marriage rights. And it was really interesting, actually. I noticed with the Uranus opposition for many of my friends who were in that area that that was when um, same-sex marriage was actually came in and was adopted and was honoured. And um, so it's really amazing. Whereas Uranus and Scorpio, quite a different generation and I'm right on the end I remember having a few friends a few years younger than me who were total goths who went in and wanted to just break everything apart but in that very deep intense um, emotional way of the Uranus and Scorpio generation so I think as well it will you you need to when you're looking at your chart think okay what generational signature is this showing about me in my life and but you know what context is it making in my chart what planets does it aspect to show me, okay, how does this show up in my personal life and me as an individual? So I think, you know, 
for example, you know, the fact that I married somebody from a foreign country and a very unusual foreign country, um, you know, was was the way Uranus came up in my chart and also on again, off again relationships. And, you know, I've got, I see it often with clients if Uranus is strongly placed that they do things like um, entrepreneur, they're innovators, a uh, few who are scientists. I've got a lot of clients who are energetic healers who have Uranus strongly placed as well. So I think it can show up in a myriad of ways, but it's definitely how we connect into that energy. How am I different? How am I myself? How am I this unique individual uh, in this area? And how can I do things that are really kind of giving the middle finger to the, to the rest of the world and going, you know what, I don't care. I'm going to do things in my own way. What about you guys? How do you see it showing up? Well, I wonder if we should actually go through the signs a little bit. And Jasmine, mm. if you, you you have Uranus and Scorpio, maybe you could speak to that. And maybe I could speak to Uranus and Sag and we can Great. all share thoughts on Uranus and Capricorn. <laughs> <laughs> um, just to maybe cover some generations that might include our listeners. Jasmine, have you thought about Uranus and Scorpio? All the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have. And I do think about it on a generational level and all the people that I speak with that have Uranus and Scorpio, what I notice the most about them is they're just so deeply penetrating on a psychological level. And they are, our, our generation is really looking to revolutionize these outdated psychological concepts in a very, uh, in a very interesting way. Like everybody has their own take on how to do that. But also the conversations are just super wild and very far out and can go um, in any direction. And I have had just crazy conversations from quantum physics to uh, deep spiritual revelations. Also, I've noticed that these are these are people that willing to admit in public <laughs> that they have had just these really odd experiences with their spirituality. Um, a lot of witches. <laughs> and <clears throat> I do think, excuse me, I do think this generation, they're doing things that are are very revolutionary as well, as far as like what they're inventing and what they're interested in. But I do notice that at least in, in doing astrology and in this field that the Uranus and Scorpio generation, there's a lot of overlapping of modalities and whatever they're practicing. So if they are healers, they're not just healing in one lane and one Avenue, they're overlapping multiple different modalities, astrology, psychology, psychotherapy, quantum physics, different, different types of sciences. And I think that's, what's the most fascinating about the Uranus and Scorpio generation that I've noticed. Yeah. What about you, Castrell? Have you got any thoughts? Cause you're Uranus in Libra too, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm late degrees Uranus and Libra too. I just think you did such a beautiful job of articulating it. I don't know if I have a ton to add. I don't have it in a very prompt. It's not on an angle for me like yourself. So that might be part of it. It's in the second house. I've noticed at least real ups and downs in feast and famine in my childhood. I feel like that really stood out to me um, and really unconventional relationships and also like requiring me to examine that as well. So those are some sparky highlights for me, but I am 
I'm curious about the Sag as well, but I don't know if I could really even sum up the rest of the signs. <laughs> so we'll at least start with you, Eliza. <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I want to say to you, I think that as much as we're doing it by sign, it's also crucial to look at what planets Uranus is configured to. And these are also generational signatures. So I was born in that period in the late 80s where it wasn't quite conjunct Neptune. It was working its way there. My Neptune was already in Capricorn, but it was sitting pretty with Saturn. So this is almost the more than Uranus and Sag qua Uranus and Sag. It's more the Uranus-Saturn combination, which you see, I feel in so many elder millennials who, like me, <laughs> have taken a um, historically Uranian subject, like, let's say astrology or, or anything, and then like studied it so with, with so much Saturn, not that this began with this generation, it's just really prominent, I feel, in this generation, studied it with so much Saturnian um, discipline and focus and seriousness and really made it quite academic. I think you, I mean, Chris Brennan, I feel is a really great example of this, where he's just created this very rigorous academic archive of, of a subject that has often been perhaps mislabeled as quite fluffy and airy-fairy. Like I would say that the there are many people born in the late 80s who I think are, are doing that, not just with astrology, but with other subjects that have historically been construed as outside the margins, and they are applying that again, that Saturnian discipline and rigor and seriousness to the, that field. With, within Sagittarius more generally, I do think that there's, I mean, I feel that millennials are often known for, <laughs> perhaps this is changing now that we're all in our 30s, um, the, the older ones of us anyway, but I think that the millennial generation is often known for graduating from university and not not hopping on that conveyor belt towards a job yet. And that's often because there are no jobs. So I want to name that, first of all, <laughs> that we ran out of jobs. So, so people are making up their own jobs. But I think before that, like in as we were first leaving university, that's where you saw so many people, so many of my peers just went backpacking for an undefined amount of time or um, did something undefined for a, <laughs> a long amount of time. Uh, the, the phrase Peter Pan syndrome, I feel, was applied to many of my peers where there was a sense of like this refusal of growing up, this, this desire to still keep exploring, to keep adventuring in that Sagittarian way and to not necessarily limit oneself through a, a career trajectory just yet. But then again, I think also taking on careers that are defying traditional expectations and conventions like astrology, like more alternative healing practices yoga teaching, for example. I feel like the yoga teaching industry really blew up <laughs> with people in my generation. Um, so yeah, those are some thoughts. Yeah, I like what you're talking about, about the backpacking too, because I noticed your generation did backpacking very differently to how we did it. You know, we kind of, we went to Paris, we went to London, you know, we did those places, but you guys went to the really offbeat, exotic, you know, really unusual and, and really wanted to seek out the differences of culture. That's one thing I've noticed in my client sessions with that. It's just this real draw to how can I expand my horizons, but in a way that's totally different different and unique. Mm -hmm. 
It's not done what others have done before. And since, you know, we had that Uranus-Pluto conjunction back in the late 60s, what we've seen now is Uranus moving ahead of Pluto. And so it's almost like that generation of the Uranus in the sign breaks it apart. So the Pluto, the Plutonic energy of the children that come, you know, 5, 10, 15 years later can then reveal, you know, or pull apart and break down what's underneath it. So I think it's really beautiful actually what we're seeing, you know, Jasmine, what your generation did with the Uranus and Scorpio. You know, I know that the Pluto and Scorpios thought that they were the first emos, but you guys were, you know, you were the ones to really have those deep conversations about what's at the heart of the matter. Um, and then the Pluto and Scorpio were able to do that more, even more deeply now. And Eliza, the same with your generation. I think it's interesting what the Uranus and Capricorn generation have done for what like my children, for example, have and, and what they're going to be able to do in terms of, okay, well, how can we break things apart but in a way that sticks within the rules or how can we go within, you know, I, I always think of Uranus in Capricorn as the person who gets a job at the organisation so they can make the change within. So they kind of stick by the rules but then totally change them. I don't know, what are your thoughts on Uranus in Capricorn? Well, I've been thinking about this. I've just had two clients in a row this weekend with that Uranus-Neptune mm. conjunction in Capricorn. Mm. And so for people who aren't sure, this is mostly, I feel, the early 90s. I don't have the dates right in front of me, but it's um, around, I would say, the very end of the 80s through to the mid-90s, I imagine, uh, for, for Uranus in Capricorn. And I think it one was of the- 88 through to 96. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I, I was talking about this with Jasmine, but one of the most clear signatures I feel is that generation of people who have then gone on to really take on cryptocurrency and that like particular combination of, of that, um, that dreamy, idealistic, escapist even, and like delirious and delusional <laughs> and, and also hopeful side of Neptune applied to the boundary breaking. We're going to change completely what money means and what value means. And in Capricorn, the sign up often associated with big money, big banks, big corporations, big state interest. Um, but there's something about that Neptune ability to just like dissolve through those Capricorn barriers and boundaries. Um, so taking those Capricorn structures, but then dissolving them as a way to, to kind of burst through them. I really associate that with, with that specifically this coming or this generation of people who have Neptune, Uranus and Capricorn. Yeah. And you just had me thinking, cause I'm realizing I've had quite a few clients with that signature as well. So the dissolving piece was starting to come in and just how there's this, it almost seems like there's this belief and understanding of some sort of reality construct, but that it could be better or more equitable on some level. It's like a bridging a gap, right. Between the real and the unreal. I'm just actually looking at some notes of mine because I thought a lot about this when I was seeing clients of this generation. So I'm glad this is coming up. And um, yeah, and then that Uranian co component, just like what are the opportunities and the breakthroughs we'll have as a result of all of this? 
because something forever needs to change. It's almost like we need to disassemble everything. So something more innovative and potent and, you know, it's idealistic, but maybe also realistic to address really where we are in society now. That makes sense. And I, I, I just have to say, this is, this is not a, a well-educated or <laughs> experiential observation, but there's something about investing in in cryptocurrency that reminds me of playing a video game. And it, it is like the long hours at the computer. Like I, the client I spoke to on the weekend will sit down and maybe not get up for 13 hours because of their job and what their, the specific tasks that they have and how fast moving it all is. And I do think it takes that, like that addiction, that thrill, that adrenaline of watching the markets go up and down, which you could see in, you know, normal stock exchange investors, but there's something about the the digitalization of it all and like the non-tangible sides of it all that I really do see that, that Neptunian side of like numbing out to a video game or <laughs> entering this weird digital world of, of a crypto exchange. It's, I don't know, I find it fascinating. Um, it's not far-fetched though, because you have to use gaming computers to mine cryptocurrency. So there's so much overlap between miners and gamers. Like a lot of gamers mine and a lot of miners now game because they own gaming computers. There's an article about these two children. I forget where they're based out of. Oh, I think they're based out of Dallas. They're it's a sister and brother. One of them is nine years old. The sister is nine years old. The brother's 14 years old. And they have been mining with their gaming computers over $30,000 a month for like almost the last two years because they had all the equipment. <laughs> I promise you, you can look it up, Google it right now and you'll find them. But they're, they're like the youngest, richest miners <laughs> in the history of cryptocurrency. But that's happening. You know, that's happening. And it is, there is, there is this like gaming um, altered reality to what it takes to not only trade, but also mine. And a lot of the software even looks like gaming software now. Like, honestly, I just started, I started mining a couple months ago and I bought a gaming computer and like the mining software itself, it looks like you're entering a game when it pops up on your screen. And that's just to watch how everything is working. It makes it fun for one, but it's also like the day and age that we're living in and it's, it's where technology is going. And it's also who's what age these people are that are developing this software because they all grew up gaming. So like my generation, yeah, we gamed, but we didn't grow up at that level of technology at all. So the miners and the ones that are in crypto to the extent that they are, they grew up on their machines. That is what we're seeing being put out into the world as far as the software and how even like the exchanges and stuff, how they all operated, just the technology alone is, you know, it's from that generation. 
It's amazing, isn't it? Just the way it's that amazing. the social hierarchy is and are, are able to be blown apart with this, you know, because I think that's the generation that grew up with Minecraft as well. Exactly. You know, what you, and it's like, okay, well, how can I put these blocks together but using technology to create something amazing and new? But it's that sense that the, those children are able to, at such a young age, go out and gather riches when you think, you know, a couple of hundred years ago or even a hundred years ago, there would have been no possibility of that even happening. Yeah. Even a few decades ago, I mean, my Uranus and Libra is looking, looking at all of this going, what happened to the Pac-Man arcade games that we used to play? <laughs> yeah. What happened to Tetris? <laughs> yeah. Donkey Kong. <laughs> you know, I feel my Saturn digging in. I'm so anxious just hearing about this. <laughs> I know, can't we go back? Less technology. <laughs> yeah. And that's that beautiful thing Eliza was saying about the monsters that we are creating. I mean, the mm-hmm. internet is amazing for what it has created. And I think I might, I'm just talking off the top of my head now, that the birth of the internet has a very strong Uranian theme within it, that, that chart. Um, but it has been this thing that's, yes, it's it's made knowledge way more fast spread and it's equalized everybody's access to education and insights but it's also meant that people can do some pretty horrendous stuff to each other through this so it's like okay well how do we regulate this thing how do we regulate the internet what's possible with all of this and that comes back to that Saturn Uranus and I think that's why Uranus in Capricorn is so interesting Um, and Uranus in Aquarius as well but especially Capricorn because it is in Saturn's sign that's like well how do I come and disrupt things in the land of strict rules and regulations and hierarchies and boundaries so it's it's a tricky thing I think for that generation to work out okay how do I do this? How do I be the rebel? Um, yeah. It makes me wonder what that Uranus return will be like when Uranus enters cancer. That'll be, that'll mm. be interesting to watch where cryptocurrency is, for example, at that, at that point. But um, I also think what you're saying is a good segue to Uranus in Aquarius, because this is one of the first generations that probably does not remember a time before the internet. Um, I mean, it's the late nineties, early two thousands. Like I'm still old enough where I remember when we got our first computer. I remember when we got the internet for the first time. I very much remember a world before that, but people with Uranus and Aquarius very much grew up on that technology. Like you were saying, Jasmine, and it's become part of their fluency. Um, So I think that's one of the defining traits. Once we have Uranus in, in this forward thinking air sign, we we become all of a sudden um, partly bred and nurtured through this, this airy medium of the internet. Yeah, totally. And I think as well, that generation too are the ones that are exploring what it means to be self, you know, that generation, I feel I see are the ones that are going with non-gender conformity as well. And I know it's not just them. There are definitely people before that, but you see it so strongly in, in the ones that are growing up, the teenagers, uh, you know, early early um, 20s now that are just like, actually, I'm not going to stick with what the social constructs tell me who I need to be. I'm going to create my own identity here. And they seem to be doing it in quite a quite a unique and unusual way that that's very much about 
okay, what does it mean ethically? You know, I love the ethics of that generation. You know, I've got a few clients in, in that age group who just their standards are totally their own. And they're, I think this is, you know, seeing a lot of them growing up vegan too, of like, right, ethically, I'm not going to eat what everybody else tells me I have to eat. So there is that real pushback in that generation, but it comes from a strong self-understanding. Jasmine, is Trinity um, Uranus in Aquarius or Pisces? Uranus and Pisces. Do you see how that might play out for her or her generation, her peers? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I do. When I think about it, I definitely see how it plays out for her. And I have spoken about this before, but I do notice with the Uranus and Pisces generation specifically, yes, there's complete nonconformity to not only gender, but also, you know, their sexuality. I mean, everybody's totally fluid, like all of her friends and the way she expresses that very resolute. And so is all of her peers. Um, But I also noticed with that Pisces element that there's this real loving component between all of them and very, they're very accepting of each other. And I don't, I haven't had a lot of experience with the Uranus and Aquarius generation, but I noticed that that's happening amongst her friends. So um, that's one beautiful thing about that generation is it just seems like they all really care about each other and how each other feels around those subjects. That seems positive. (laughs) Maybe this would be a good moment to start talking about, um, the stages of the Uranus cycle. So we can focus on the Uranus opposition, which I know the three of you have either experienced or are experiencing right now. (laughs) Um, But we can maybe also touch on what we mean or yeah, what we even mean by the Uranus opposition, but maybe we can also touch on say the Uranus square or even the Uranus trine if anyone has any thoughts about that. So maybe... Alicia, do you want to get us started? And just what do we even mean by the Uranus opposition? Sure. So thanks. Um, Uranus opposition is, it happens between the ages of 41 to 44. And it's a part of that whole cycle of what we call the midlife transits. And I use transits, I don't use crisis very intentionally, because it can be a period of, you know, really strongly readjusting our lives. And Our generation or the generations around us have the the Pluto square, the Neptune square and the Uranus opposition. Um, Pluto square is a bit of a funny one because other other generations have that differently. Like Pluto and Aries, for example, they actually have their Pluto square in their 80s and 90s. So it's unique to us because Pluto goes so quickly through Libra and Scorpio. Um, But it is this sense of, a time in our life where suddenly the universe is tapping us on the back and going, you've been thinking that time is unspooling in front of you endlessly, but suddenly the end's in sight. You've got a bit of time left. What do you want to do? And I feel, you know, the Pluto square reveals, the Uranus square melts or dissolves, and the Uranus opposition awakens or energizes and there's also other things in there of course there's the the nodal opposition 
the Jupiter return that comes in as well, the Saturn opposition too. So it's, it's an interesting period of time that kind of starts, well, for my generation, it started around 36. Um, I think for you guys, you've had your Pluto square a bit later, haven't you? It's like 38. Um, and then it would go through right until kind of late 40s. So I'm just coming through the final of that with the Jupiter return. So it's just a period of time where we've done the experimentation of our 20s, you know, tried to find out who we are, what we want to do. Our 30s, we've put that in place and, and really dived into it. And then in our 40s, it's like, actually, is this where I want to be? Is this what I want to do? And I think the Uranian side of this, the Uranian opposition is really causing us to go, okay, it's now or never. You know, these are the, the visions I had as a, as, a, as a young adult or even as a child. And is this where I want to go right now? Does this still fit for me now that I've done more discovering of who I am? And I think there's a big piece in this. We see it so much in the literature. And I know, Kestrel, you have that beautiful quote by Brene Brown you wanted to bring in. But even, um, you know, Glennon Doyle, her book, Untamed, I find is such a Uranian book and I'm always... Um, recommending it to clients who are going through Uranus transits to read that book. But she has that quote of, every life is an unprecedented experiment. This life is mine alone. So I have stopped asking people for directions to places they've never been. There is no map. We are all pioneers. And that's very much what comes through in that kind of early 40s of, I'm going to go my own way now. You know, I'm not going to climb the mountain that my parents taught me to or my peers suggested I should. And I know, you know, my personal experience, um, as I mentioned earlier, that was when I went, right, you know, astrology has been this thing I've loved for so long, um, but I've done all the things that I thought I should do or, or looked good uh, because astrology wasn't as socially acceptable, let's put those for, for, for my generation. Um, so it was something that I always put on the back burner or, or just, you know, made it made a side hobby. But suddenly I went, right, that's it. I can't do this anymore. I love this. I really want to do it. And I was pushed into that um, by my life circumstance, which is often what happens with Uranus oppositions. Um, you know, and I've got a, another client who she was an EA and decided that she just wanted to study Reiki one day because she was getting really bored and really restless and loved it and is now a very well-known Reiki master here in Australia. Um, so there's this kind of all this waking up and enlivening and going, okay, where where is speaking to my soul? What path do I need to go on that I feel freedom within and I feel like I can create my own, my own sense of self that isn't dumbed down or that isn't imprisoned or that isn't closed in by what expectations or what others believe that I should be? Um, how can I just kind of be myself and... Yeah. Anyway, I could keep talking forever on this because I think it's a really important important part of the midlife transits, um, that, that part that just wakes up our soul. But I'd love to hear from the rest of you, you know, what your journeys have been too. I just wanted to clarify for the audience too that when we say Uranus opposition, what we mean is, you know, of course, all the planets keep moving after we're born. So it's the, the time it takes for the, for say, Uranus 
to reach that um, that point that is directly opposite our natal uranus placement. So that's that's the basic mechanics of what we're even saying when we're talking about these oppositions or these squares. Well, just to tag on to what you said, just to fill it in too, it's so the uranus cycle, right? It takes 84 years for it to go around. So you get the, the uranus return at 84, which is really interesting to honor as well. Um, it can be a great awakening, you know, or a delivering of the work that you've done in this lifetime in some way. Um, no, I was just trying to really tap into, you know, the authenticity of my own Uranus opposition, which I'm through mainly, but I feel like you continue to ride on the fumes of it, or you're still riding on that lightning bolt because it isn't something that just happens overnight. It's, it really is a huge disassembling and then putting back all the parts together, but differently. And um, James Hollis does, he's a Jungian. He does a lot of writing about the midlife and I've really resonated with a lot of his language and adopted it a lot to just my own understanding. But it's like, we live this provisional adulthood um, of what Alicia was saying of all the shoulds and doing a lot of the Saturn work and being of this world and getting the degrees and becoming adults and doing the adulting. And then we get to the midlife and um, I appreciate you not using the word of crisis. However, there is this feeling of like, okay, time is running out. Like you reflected who, who was I and, and who have I become? And where have I gotten stagnant? Where have I gotten stale? I can feel this pull, this energy, like something must change. And it, it can be met with a great deal of resistance, but it's coming. It's coming for you, whether you decide to proactively be with it or not. Um, but it's profound because I remember, and I was giggling with Jazz about this and a little voice memo I sent, I felt like in that moment I was going through, yes, it felt like a great awakening, but I almost felt like I was on the verge of like, was, was I having a spiritual awakening or was I having a psychotic break? The energy was so intense. And I was at that time, I also started to get really into Kundalini because I couldn't figure out what I was channeling. And I just felt like I was at the edge of no longer being who I needed to be all these hidden parts of myself that, you know, cause there's that Uranian component. I go back to the myth Uranus was shoving, you know, these monsters and these babies back into Gaia. And it was like, I can no longer keep this down. It's it, like either I'm going to suffer and the furies are going to get me and I'm going to get sick. <laughs> or I'm really going to dare to bust into my, you know, individuated path and really begin to listen to that inner voice, you know, that inner sense of knowing, which I feel like is so Uranian and, um, it's been profound, but I cannot say that I'm fully integrated. I feel like I'm still in it. And again, like we were highlighting, it's like, okay, that happens, but then we get the nodal opposition, which I'm about to go through, which I can't even begin to grok that for people, but it is a revisiting of the past, meeting the future in some way again. And then, yeah, I'm going to pause that because I know Jazz and I exchange a lot around this too. And I'm, I would love to hear what she has to say or 
Elisa, I see you were going to chime in too. I just wanted to say thank you for your sharing, you know, because it is so true that it can feel like a crisis point. I know for me, and, and this is, I feel like the Uranus in Aries is, I felt like someone had stripped my skin off and that all my nerves were exposed. And, you know, it was that really, you know, I was just so tender and so sensitive. And it was when my anxiety really flared at that period of time, which was, and I think for women as well, I'm a medical astrologer and something in medical astrology I see is, especially when it's linked highly into the chart, is this this can be when perimenopause is kicked in. So there is that change in hormones and disruptions happening in the hormonal pathways as well. So there can be that real, you know, that very nervous energy coming through or anxious energy coming through with the Uranus, any Uranus um, transit at all. If, you know, Uranus by moving around its cycles is touching any of your personal planets, but even just the opposition, it can be that sense of, okay, I thought I was going here and I'm here, but the readjustment to those places is, is huge. And I feel like for the Uranus in Taurus, and I'd be keen to hear what you have to say about this, Jasmine, because it's in that fixed sign, it's a lot more underground or underneath, but it's just as disruptive um, because often there's that clinging to what's old because Taurus struggles with change so much. Um, but it's almost like this cracking apart rather than the very fiery, nervy energy of the Uranus in Aries. Because if we think about, you know, when Uranus first went into Aries, that's when we had the Arab Spring flare and that's when we had Fukushima disaster happen. You know, it was out there, you know, we, but Uranus into Taurus has been a lot more like those kind of earthquakes rumbling under the ground. How's that been for you, Jasmine? <laughs> well, one thing I wanted to say to the audience about the Uranus opposition to take into consideration that I do think that this transit is probably the most somatic of all the transits, definitely the midlife transits, I think the Pluto square and the Neptune square tend to be a lot more mental, but the Uranus opposition definitely comes through the body. Um, and it does feel like an electrical current. And I think that's where the word crisis comes into play a lot because you don't know exactly what that is, but you feel this rising of energy, electric energy in the body and it can feel very foreign if you're not, if you don't know what it is. Um, and it's how do we channel it? What do we do with it? It's, it can feel like a crisis. It can feel like a sexual crisis. Um, I've seen that happen a lot where people or clients are going through their Uranus opposition and they become so aroused that they're hypersexual and they don't realize that that's what's happening inside their body, but it can be an extreme opportunity for awakening, like you were saying, um, and on a spiritual level. So it's all about how we channel that energy for one. Um, I think for me, it has been very much that I've been very fortunate to know what that energy is. Um, and also how to deal with it because it has to be released. Uh, and you can do that in a very healthy way or in a very destructive way. It's up to you. But that's when different modalities and remedies really are important to 
research and also um, experiment with if you if you don't have a regiment around like how to release those types of energies in your body, whether it's through something like Reiki, um, definitely have a therapist <laughs> on the other line if you need. Um, but also just like Epsom salt baths, going to the sauna, exercise, uh, different types of meditation, all those things become very, very important for you to actually get to that other side of what you're experiencing and your opposition. And in fact, self-actualize, um, it's also a time where we can make, um, really bad decisions in our lives too. And very disruptive decisions. If we're not aware of what's going on only to come out on the other side and do that whole woulda, coulda, shoulda thing. Um, it's when a lot of people get divorced. Um, they change jobs and maybe they shouldn't, um, those types of things. So it's, it's a time where instead of like projecting outward, what's happening internally, it's a really a time to go inside. I'm curious how both it's so Kesher psychotherapist, Lisa, you're a counselor. I'm curious how you counsel your clients through these times and what you tell them as far as what they should be doing and what those proper avenues are in order to, in order to really deal with this. I think it's very much a period of know thyself. And, you know, I, I loved what you were saying, Jasmine, about that sense of, you know, it is impulsive energy and erratic energy and the restlessness can urge us into changes that are not well thought through. And it can be those strong nudges that are just like, okay, you know, fuck it, I'm just going to do whatever. Yeah. I'm going to go wherever. Um, but that can be where that rebelliousness of Uranus can really get us into trouble. And so for clients, it's, it's generally counselling them to explore what, what are those inner urges? What is, you know, where is that friction? What is that telling you about? Let's think about that. Let's dwell about that rather than going just, okay, I've got this friction here. I often use the analogy of when you're wearing a shoe, and a blister forms. It's not telling you to throw the shoe away. It's telling you, okay, there's this, maybe this part of the shoe needs to be stretched out, or maybe I'm not walking in the right way, or maybe I just need to put a Band-Aid here as I get used to these new shoes. Uh, so it's, it doesn't have to be that throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but it's really honing in on, okay, what's your restlessness telling you and, and what's this friction telling you? And I do think mindfulness is one of the biggest things I encourage clients to go towards. And I agree, you know, you're, what you're saying about the somatic experience of Uranus, you know, I do a lot of somatic work with clients. So mm -hmm. it's getting them into their bodies, breathing, you know, really being present in the moment and not so associated with the monkey mind, which can be where those impulses kind of end up coming out through. So it is that inner dwelling, the inner awareness and, I think as well with Uranus, it's definitely encourage them just as well to take supplements, you know, be making sure you're taking all your vitamin Bs, your magnesium, you know, your zinc to just help calm the nervous system down and, and not get triggered into anxiety as well. That's simple back to basics that I would add on to all those great suggestions you already made, Jasmine. But Castro, I'm keen to hear what you'd suggest as well. 
Yeah, just to piggyback and not be overly redundant, but I think it is a great time. You know, we all keep referring to this inner work or this mindfulness work. And I think it is a great opportunity of getting into the dreamscape as well. I've really encouraged clients to pay attention to what's coming up in the dream, because I think the dreams are also really revealing who people are becoming. Sometimes the dream can give a bit of a premonition, actually. It it doesn't mean that it's going to play out that way, but it can give us more information about ourselves and, um, yeah, the realms of the psyche in a new way. And I think it also single signals a need of reevaluation. And I think there's these points throughout our life of reevaluating, pivoting, taking stock, you know, where we've come, what needs to change in order to live a life of more meaning or more authenticity that's in alignment of who we've become. But that knowing thyself takes a while and it's, you know, doing it through therapy, exploring the astrology. Um, I did go through an, a huge upgrade or change in career. I, I did agency work for so long. And then it was like, I was really ready to step into my own shoes and some of the best advice that came out of it. And I think it, it does bring in the astrology into account is working with some of that Saturnian stuff as well, like staying grounded, using my free time to further my education. And that's when I really leaned into the astrology so that I wasn't just completely throwing all caution to the wind, but it's, it's hard because it's easy to want to give into those temptations, but it's also that balance of it too, because sometimes we have to take a leap of faith and not know where we're going to land rather than trying to control that. And so that's one of the things I really do talk with clients about and coach clients around and just naming what's going on. I think just this alone, you know, if you're Mm. going through your midlife and you're hearing this conversation, it's just so affirming and validating. And then it like equips you to recognize like, okay, yeah, the universe is giving me a little tap on the shoulder and I'm kind of, um, taking a little bit of the Brene Brown quote, but it's like, what are these patterns that are no longer working for me? Or what sort of armor have I put up that I've put myself in containment that really has to go in order for me to live the life that, you know, it's calling me in. And that's scary as fuck. It's terrifying. (laughs) Totally. But if you don't do it, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You're going to get a tip somewhere else, something, you know, the universe is going to push you some other way. <laughs> well, if so. you don't do it, then you got your Chiron return coming for you to really deal with everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just wanted to highlight that um, there's a book that Barbara Hanclaw wrote. It's called Astrology and the Rise of the Kundalini. That's amazing about the Uranus opposition not only does it go into the Uranus opposition but she also talks about the first Saturn return and also the Chiron return um but what you had said before Kestrel about uh, journaling uh, your dreams she really highlights that in her book she says it's one of the most important times during the Uranus opposition to journal your dreams because a lot you're getting a lot of downloads and Um, a lot of answers can come to you in your dreams about how you should be dealing 
with the transit itself and what kind of, of answers are out there for you in terms of what you're feeling. Um, and I, and I wanted to go back a little bit to the somatic response of this, of this transit, because Uranus is associated with electricity. And so what happens during the Uranus opposition is we become really in tune with the electromagnetic field of the earth. And that's where we start to feel that rise of the Kundalini energy. And we get really sensitive to that, which is like the first time that we're able to become as in tune with the earth, according to Barbara Hancloud, from the time that we're born, which is really, really interesting. That's amazing. I mean, especially when you think about oppositions, they're like the fullness or the peak of something. You know, we think about the full moon. I mean, that's the opposition of the moon and the sun. So it feels like it's that peak of, okay, this is what you came in to do as a unique, brand new little life. And then here we are at the opposition going, right, what have you done? What are, are you here? Are you ready? Where are you at? It's amazing. I think I want to bring Saturn into this conversation because I do think it's really appropriate and interesting how their cycles, they do, um, they do intersect with each other a lot. I mean, the Saturn, Saturn's also coming in sevens. It's the the Saturn uh, square at seven years, the Saturn opposition at 14, the Saturn return at 28 to between 28 and 30. And so as, um, a relatively recent and real life example, it, like when I was going through my Saturn return, that's when I was going through my Uranus trine. And there is like, and for me, that coincided with A, getting into astrology seriously and B, literally putting like a thumbtack in a map and deciding to move across the world to Montreal from at the time the UK, knowing nobody in Montreal, but just kind of going on some kind of gut, some kind of Aries gut instinct. <laughs> um and I, I want to echo what you're saying, Kestrel. Like, I think actually, yes, know thyself. Absolutely. But if thyself does not want to be an accountant anymore, or if thyself does not want to do X, Y, or Z anymore, I don't know, light a fire to that. <laughs> Go move. Well, responsibly, you know, we still have to be accountable. But I do think that we, Uranus does need us to break free from our own traps and our own confines and our own safety zone. And this is, again, where I think that that intersection with the Saturn cycle is so fascinating. Like, if you think about it, we'll be going through, one goes through their their Uranus square, their first Uranus square around age 21. It's also um, when we're going through our closing Saturn square. So we're kind of getting the tension with both of these planets around the same time. That happens to be the age many people are graduating from college. Many people are leaving home or they're moving on to a very different stage of their life. They're beginning that trajectory of defining their adulthood. And it's, I think it's so interesting to think that, think of all the Saturn work, for instance, that it took during your school days, like your your high school and, and junior high school and elementary school days to build something of yourself to even be able to get into college if that's what you want or to get into that trade or to just leave home. And then there's something about Uranus that makes you need to break through that. You're, you can't be a high school student forever. You have to break through that, that somewhat comfortable or uncomfortable, depending on who you are, <laughs> container to the next stage of your journey. And I think sometimes with the Uranus opposition, what I've seen anyway in clients is 
having worked to create this very homely Saturn structure of their current job or maybe a relationship or some kind of role in their life and actually really needing to try something else and needing to really validate this other side of themselves. I also have been seeing it with friends when it comes to their, let's say, family roles and structures and just kind of deciding and saying for themselves, oh, that shit's not mine, actually. I don't have to deal with that. I don't have to be that person for that other person anymore. So I think it's really a reckoning with, with what is ours what is ours to be responsible about and what maybe we can give ourselves some more freedom for. Absolutely. And I love that you're talking about this because I recognize this in my college students, right? They leave home for the first time. They get to school. They've done all this work to be a certain person. They get to school and they're like, what are my preferences? Who do I want to be? Oftentimes they start to come see me because they're having symptoms of anxiety and depression and really at a complete loss and don't know who they are at all. And that's right about, would that be the Uranus square? at about 21. Yeah. So I end up feeling like I recognizing that a lot in my client care too. Yeah, completely. And it is that really time where we actually finally pushing back, you know, against the social norms. And I think this links into the brain, brain development as well, because they're now saying adolescence goes the whole way through till 24. Uh, with the way the prefrontal cortex forms. And so this is that final sense of, okay, I'm forming myself as an adult, but I'm forming myself as an adult totally outside of my family structures, totally on my own. And if we even have a look at, you know, some of the examples, like, for example, Sir Isaac Newton, um, who's seen as a very Iranian person, his first square was when he had that epiphany about gravity you know that was when the apple fell on his head it didn't come out until his uranian opposition but he was because of the plague at that time in in london he had to go back home to his dad so he had all this spare time on his hands and all the study that he'd done that had this sudden awakening at around 21 and that can be how that square and this opposition also link into us each other as well and something I often encourage clients to look at it's like okay what awakening or what insights or what were you trying to explore when you were between that kind of 19 to 22 years of age and where are you at with it now are you at the fullness of it what extra can you do what small shifts or big changes can you make so you're realizing the potential of what you were trying to create then and that the, the buffers or the safety rails that Saturn can provide, especially in that Saturn opposition that happens around about that Saturn, sorry, the Uranus opposition as well, when Saturn comes to that opposition of your Saturn return is again a fullness and a peak. So there are these two peaks, of, but it's okay, where am I being structured and where am I being responsible and where am I being cautious against the peak of the, okay, where am I individuating? Where am I opening up? Where am I being authentic? So they go hand in hand with each other. Um, and it's really important to be able to explore both of, okay, well, how can you break free, but in a way that's not going to 
diminish your responsibilities that you have to have and which responsibilities, as you said, Eliza, so beautifully, which ones are mine and which are put upon me? And so how do I get to change and, and, and make a difference here uh, that has my voice but other people's as well, which comes back to that whole freedom responsibility dilemma. I love just watching how Uranus transforms each area of the life. You know, it spends about seven years in a house or a sign and it just, what an upgrade. So that's something that the audience could think about too. Um, I know that was just so mind blowing and revolutionary for me to notice, you know, what is the work that it's doing? How is it helping me upgrade in each area of my life? And I get, I'm really excited just watching it as it travels through my ninth house. (laughs) So yeah. I don't know. Anybody else have anything last minute? The the only thing things? that I was, yeah, the only thing that I was thinking about with the Uranus opposition on a technical level for the audience is that you do get three hits of Uranus returning into that exact opposition from your natal position in your chart. So you get one hit and that's when you start to realize really what this awakening is going to do for you. It's also when um, you can have things that come up around childhood trauma that you start to realize or even remember, or again, things that feel outdated for you, but then it turns retrograde. And a lot of those feelings subside as it moves off that exact opposition point only to return back again, um, for a second time. And during that time is when you start to realize what exactly the work is. And then the third time it hits is the close of whatever that work is. And at least it's what it's supposed to be. Now you had mentioned before Kestrel, like you're still feeling a lot of like the ripple from your Uranus opposition, which does tend to happen for some people. They go through the Uranus opposition and they don't quite realize exactly what it meant until after they're through, through it in its entirety. But during those three hits is like when everything starts to become online and just the awareness becomes um, really prevalent in your life. And then once the Uranus opposition is over is when like the whole anxiety and (laughs) all the pressure and all that starts to fade away. So I think that's something that, um, a, if you're going through this transit, you can look forward to, and it's also something that you can know going into it as well. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it also just depends too how the journey continues. Cause it's like, I went through mine and now it's actually trining my ascendant. So it's like, that could be part of, you know, how it's presenting versus it. My perception may be it, it's still the Uranus opposition, but it actually may be this other transit. Well, it's also the orb, the orb yeah. too. You know, Rick Tarnas uses a 15 degree orb when talking sure. about Uranus and the outer planets. So um, I definitely take that in consideration. I do think that there is a 15 degree orb and going through these transpersonal planet transits. Yeah. So. Alicia, do you have any last thoughts or things to add? The only thing that I really wanted to kind of add in is is remembering that, yes, the opposition has this tension between, okay, what you're, you know, who you are and what you're trying to create and this. And then 
it, but it's getting you ready for the trine and then the square too, you know, yeah. and, and that, that trine in your mid fifties and then the square in your early to mid sixties is a lot more about the realignment. So if you feel like you get to the end of your opposition and you're like, I haven't changed and I haven't done everything, it's, it's still, the work's still going, you know, yeah. and the, the strong realisation of that will often happen around the trine. And then there is that opportunity again. Um, I often refer to um, the French writer um, Colette who, you know, it was all she had really tricky, um, her first square was really tricky and, she was literally gaslit um, by her husband, Willie, into and then had work stolen from her. But it was when she had that, you know, the second square that she stepped out into herself and came out as she really was and was able to publish works under her own name, um, even though that, you know, that peak of the opposition wasn't quite when she was able to do it. So, yeah, it's just a, like this is unfolding, it's still continuing. So, keep going, keep, keep being you. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think that's really helpful to hear. Did you want to read your passage? I mean, I could, it, I, I guess I could read it and then you can decide if you want to keep it or not. It is good. I like it. So Brene Brown writes the midlife. It's the time in your life when the universe gently, but maybe not so gently places her hand upon your shoulders pulls you in and whispers in your ear, I am not fucking around. All of this pretending and performing and these coping skills and mechanisms you have developed to protect yourself from feeling inadequate or getting hurt, this has to go. Your armor is preventing you from growing into your gifts. And I understand you needed these protections when you were small. I understand that you believed your armor helps you secure all the things to help you feel worthy and lovable, but you are still searching and you are more lost than ever. Time is growing short. There are unexplored adventures ahead of you. You can't live the rest of your life worried about what other people think. You were born worthy of love and belonging. Courage and daring are coursing through your veins, and you were made to live and love with your whole heart. It's time to show up and be seen. Thank you, Brene Brown. <laughs> so beautiful. I think just that's great. Me, just one last thing to say, you know, it just makes me think this is a time to choose yourself. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this reminds me of those 80s t-shirts we had as kids. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of choose 84, it's like choose you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I am just so ecstatic that this worked out today. Yeah, Thank, Thank you. you so much. Where can people find you, Alicia? Uh, so they can go to my website, aliciayusuf.com. Um, I'm on Instagram, although kind of moving away from that a little bit, talking about the base of the internet, sick <laughs> of trying to deal with the Instagram algorithm. Um, and I'm also on YouTube as well. That's where I, I do regular updates. So, yeah, I teach, I write. If anyone actually, um, I do have a article that I wrote for Wellbeing magazine a couple of years ago on my website, specifically around the Uranus cycle, around the square, the opposition and the, the closing square as well. So people can find that on my website if they'd like to kind of dig more and see some real real life examples. 
Awesome. And you can find us at cosmictonic.com and our Instagram handle is at cosmictonic and our Twitter is cosmic underscore tonic. And we'd like to thank everyone for being here and we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 <laughs>